Welcome to the Technology Equals Equality podcast. This is episode 27. Hey, welcome back to the Technology Equals Equality podcast. I'm your host, Lori Brooks, and this is episode 27. I just want to say my apologies to the techie community. For those of you who are looking for this episode on Sunday or yesterday, my sincere apologies. Between a move and a quick flare-up with Crohn's, it was just, you know, inevitable that my production schedule would get somewhat screwed up but regardless we are still back just in time for the school year to begin and today i am super pleased to welcome to the show scott given scott is the founder and ceo of the up education network a nonprofit school management organization whose mission is to rapidly transform chronically underperforming district schools into extraordinary schools that sustain high achievement over time. The UP Education Network has restarted and now manages five schools in the Boston and Lawrence, Massachusetts area. In spring 2014, two of UP's schools ranked number one among all of Massachusetts elementary and middle schools, respectively, for mathematics growth in the state. Scott started his career as a strategy consultant at the Parthenon Group before teaching high school history at Boston Collegiate Charter School. In 2005, Scott became the principal of Excel Academy Charter School, where for three years he was part of a comprehensive school improvement effort. During Scott's tenure as principal, Excel Academy became the highest performing public middle school in Massachusetts. Scott has worked as an independent consultant for charter and district schools in more than 10 states, as an entrepreneur in residence at the Newark Charter School Fund and as an entrepreneur in residence at the New Schools Venture Fund. Scott is currently participating as a fellow in the Broad Academy, which prepares innovative, high-performing, transformative educators to successfully lead urban public school systems. Scott is a summa cum laude graduate of Dartmouth College and has earned his MBA from Harvard Business School. And today, Scott joins us to share his entrepreneurial journey and experiences with the technology equality community. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Lori. How are you doing this morning? Excellent, thank you. I'm so glad we could have you on today. Yeah, I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Certainly. So, Scott, we would love to know a story of how it is you once saw the future before you decided to begin, you know, building out the UP Education Network and and building out a school system. Yeah, yeah. So, great question. Um, so, I think I think I would take you to 2008. Um, I had just finished my tenure as principal um, of a small uh, charter school in East Boston called Excel Academy. Uh, Wonderful school, um, amazing families, amazing students, amazing teachers, and our team had just lived through three years of transformation. Um, and it, within that team, I include the students and families who, who felt very much part of it. Um, and we had uh, grown a school from one that was struggling to one which was uh, almost literally um, the highest performing school in Massachusetts. These students from East Boston just um, uh, succeeding at um, amazing levels. Um, and you know, at that moment, as I was transitioning, I thought, this is wonderful for these 200 students, many of whom I stay in touch with today. Um, But what about the district school right down the street? 
um, what about students who did not get accepted into the lottery of this charter school? Or what about students um, living in households where their parent or guardians did not know about the lottery um, happening um, at, at a charter school? Um, and I thought about you know, this two worlds, <laughs> this two sector world we're living in with a charter sector on one side, a district sector on another side, um, and no exchanging of ideas between right. those two. So the world that I envisioned was one where the lines between charter schools and district schools would be a lot more blurry. The world that I envisioned was one where um, a nonprofit organization could take the best practices from the highest performing charter schools and bring them into the lowest performing district schools so that the students in those schools would immediately receive access to a really high perform a really high performing education, a really great education. That's one of the most inspirational stories I think we've actually had on the show, Scott. <laughs> you know, it's it's it, a lot of personal dreams have been on the show and there's very inspirational stories. But I think this is the first story that's really inspirational on another level because we're looking at our future and there are so many underperforming schools in the city um, and I know you know and we've had the opportunity to chat briefly before the show but yep. I, I really took for granted the education my daughter in particular was receiving prior to looking at the these schools in the city here in Boston I think I really really took it for granted, both the education that I had received growing up yep. as well as yep. the education that my daughter was receiving. Yep. Um, so when you when you form this idea, when you decided to say, you know what, I think I want to blur the lines between the two, uh, you know, between district and charter schools, what do you feel were some of the first steps that you took once you decided to begin doing that? Yeah. Um, so... I, I just want to echo what you first echo what you said. I mean, I've I've, I've recently had um, uh, my wife and I had our first child. Um, he's seven months old, and I think it as a parent now who lives in the city of Boston, um, you just you it is inevitable to think about schools differently, um, and it becomes a lot more personal and a lot more real. Um, and um, I think the commitment to my my personal commitment to ensuring that every single school in Boston, in the state of Massachusetts, really, is a high-performing school um, is, is, uh, is solidified, I guess, more than ever. Um, I mean, in taking the, so interestingly, you know, in, if I think about the, so I went to business school um, uh, in 2008, um, uh, and that was where I was starting to write this strategic plan for the Up Education Network. Um, and I think we had a really good idea um, on paper, uh, we being um, myself and a gentleman by the name of Yutaka, um, who helped me get the organization going um, at, at the outset. Um, it was an exciting idea on paper, but it was one that was going to take, to be implemented, was going to take some real political courage um, uh, for a state or a district to say, yes, we want that to happen here. Because the work we do, frankly, is disruptive. It says the status quo is not good enough and things are going to be very different tomorrow than they are today. So I actually thought at one point in 2009 that Boston would be the very last place of likelihood where we would open doors to our first turnaround school. And wow. so um, throughout 2009 and early 2010, um, every weekend, more or less, I got on an airplane um, or on a train 
um, or in a car and travel to a different school district to um, just engage with stakeholders from that city to try to find the best place to launch our organization. So 23 different places, 23 different districts in total, from New Haven, Connecticut, to Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, as far away as Los Angeles, we were looking for the right conditions to succeed um, and the right interest level for us to succeed as well. Everything okay. changed in early 2010. The state um, of Massachusetts um, uh, passed a brand new law, um, the edu another education reform law. It created the type of uh, regulatory framework that we needed to do the type of turnaround and what we call restart work that we now do. And a week after that legislation passed, I will never forget it, um, I received a call from, the, from Mayor Menino's office and he said, I know about Up Education Network, I know about your experience, Scott, at Excel Academy, I'm very interested in partnering with you to do this work in Boston Public Schools. Please come meet with me. And um, that was really the opening door that we were waiting for um, to launch the organization in a city which I care a lot about. So, yeah, it was, it, was, it was the right place at the right time with the right political will. That's awesome. You really took the time to say to yourself, okay, this is what I'd like to do. You began building out a plan. You went back to school to make sure that you had the skills necessary in order to begin building out the school system. And then you hit the ground running with the research, which is vital to any startup anywhere. You have to do the research. I believe you mentioned it was 23 districts you visited. Um, and that's, that's important for people to hear that you really took the time to go out, look for the right system that not only needed the help, but was receptive to the type of work that you were doing. And that's the same for any entrepreneur. You have to go out, look and see what it is your audience is looking for help with and make sure that they're receptive to the type of solution that you might have to present. I, I would just add one thing there. If you look at the very mm -hmm. first draft of our strategic plan, at the very end of it, I list all of the different people um, that I asked for help from during the writing of that plan, which took about a year. Um, and that list is over 300 people long. Um, and I just, the number of times over the last five years since we've been operating that I've gone back to one of those people for uh, new information or different ideas, um, I can't even count those on all my fingers and toes. I mean, it created, using the business plan as an opportunity to network and learn from people who were really much smarter than I or had different perspectives than I, was invaluable and was really important in making the business plan come to life. Certainly. Certainly. What do you feel, uh, you know, being that we both know that the business plan is a vital piece to making any sort of business move forward and actually have direction to become successful, aside from the actual writing of the business plan and formulating your ideas, what did you feel was one of the most difficult parts of building out the UP network? So, you know, I think in, in, in October of 2010, mm -hmm. it was publicly announced that the Gavin Middle School, uh, located in South Boston, um, 10 months later was going to become this new school called UP Academy Charter School of Boston, an in-district charter school. 
um, where all the students from the Gavin would stay put, but everything else about the school would change, um, including the teachers. Um, so we had, at that point, I had a small team, probably five folks working out of an office preparing this restart work. We had um, 10 months to convince 65 people out there um, to come work um, for this new school called Up Academy Charter School of Boston. No, not only did the school not really exist yet, um, at that point the school hadn't been approved formally yet. Um, no one had tried to do an in-district charter since, you know, at that, as of that point. No one had tried to restart a chronically low-performing school as a high-performing school in the manner we did. So we were having to convince people, and not just anyone, we wanted the very best teachers out there. We wanted to convince them to come work for us. And that there was a moment in time there in late 2010 where we said to ourselves, what if no one, what if no one actually wants to do this with us? Or what if no one thinks it's going to work? Um, by July, we had 4,100 people apply. Um, to work for us, and we I really do believe, especially that year, as I think about the best re recruitment years we've had, um, we found just a phenomenal team, um, and that took a lot of work, and it took a lot of convincing, and a lot of phone calls, and a lot of thank you notes, um, and a lot of webinars, but um, ultimately we pulled it together enough to get a great team in place. And I commend you on, on doing so. My daughter actually just graduated from the former Gavin yes, uh, Academy, um, and she had an absolutely wonderful experience. Yeah. And, and I want to congratulate you on the renewal of the five-year charter. Uh, that was absolutely awesome, and I, I look forward to all the amazing things that UP is, is uh, bringing to the city. So you. you were doing awesome work, and, and again, that's part of the reason why I had to have you on. I just thought it was outstanding what you've, what you've accomplished thus far. Um, when you started, uh, you indicated, of course, you know, you were looking at 23 different districts uh, across the country, yeah. and you were looking at different specific pieces of these districts, the engagement level, the, the need. Um, what do you feel are some of the key metrics in any startup um, that you think would be really important for any newbie to look at, whether they're looking to start, you know, a new sort of school or charter network yep. or whether they're starting an entrepreneurial venture of any sort? Yeah, sure. So, and I would just, uh, in, in, good, very good question, an important question, and one which I would say, you know, our network over the last few months has been trying to decide whether or not to expand to Springfield, Massachusetts. So, and every time we think about a new city, it's almost like going through the same process of, you know, and that, analyzing a market. I mean, in, in entrepreneurial terms, um, to determine if if there if if the need is there, the fit is there. So, I think, you know, on the you know, on our checklist, there were a whole lot of things, but if I think about the things that are most applicable um, to a broad-based entrepreneurial audience, um, certainly um, a legal infrastructure that would enable our organization to succeed, um, certainly um, access to resources um, and investments. So, uh, you know, what we found as we traveled across the country were that was that there are different um, cities or states where the philanthropic, where nonprofits, so it's not 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 financial investments, but more philanthropic um, grants, where there's just more appetite or less appetite for the type of work that we were proposing. Uh, that was really important. 
um, most critically, uh, I think, did, would, would that city give, would, would we find the necessary human resources in that mm-hmm. city? Restart work is very human resource intensive. Um, and, you know, Boston, which is where we ultimately ended up and wanted to be all along, is great because of the colleges and universities and because of um, other high-performing schools, uh, et cetera. There's a strong uh, human resource network. But um, I think it was definitely for any entrepreneur to think about who are the types of people you hi- need to hire and does that region or does that um, location um, uh, or does the market more broadly just uh, have those uh, resources available um, to you? And, and if not, how can you train people quickly so that they can succeed? Um, I think um, I think the I think that those are the probably the big ones that I would say. So kind of the legal infrastructure, um, uh, access to the the right um, uh, people, um, and then I think um, political. Politi- like for us as a as a more public organization, we needed the right political support and the right philanthropic financial support as well. Excellent. So just for the audience's sake, um, when starting something similar to the Up Education Network or pretty much any entrepreneurial venture, uh, your legal infrastructure was something that you brought as as being one of the bigger ones forefront, and I really feel like that's. Uh, probably the best, <laughs> one of the best answers that's been given, Scott, yeah. uh, simply because no one tends to talk about the legalities yeah. that come along with a startup. Um, yeah. Everyone seems to breeze past it as though it's unimportant and irrelevant to a startup, and it's really not. You really, really, really need to think about the legal aspects of your business, both, you know, forefront in your customer's uh, view and those that are running behind the scenes. The legal infrastructure in any business is really crucial to make sure that you not only are able to start up, but actually continue. Because if you get you get out of the gate yeah. running and end up with legal troubles, that can really yeah. uh, you know tie up the cash flow. And we've all heard this a million times in multiple episodes that cash flow once it becomes tied up in any manner or becomes a negative situation, yeah. can create a stress yeah. that will screw the mindset okay. and the okay. goes, you know, your your success rate. So yeah. that was excellent. So two, two things, yeah. if I could just add. So one, um, one thing I clearly forgot in our kind of different market analysis was what is the level of need. We wanted to yeah. go to a place where our type of work could have a significant impact, um, and. Um, uh, we define that in a certain way in terms of what the status quo performance of schools were, but we looked really closely and analytically at the need, and I think that's a lesson, of course, or, or something that any entrepreneur would need to look at in their own context. The second thing I want to say, just because you brought up cash flow, um, even you know, even though we're a nonprofit, we we have cash in and cash out and bills to pay and um, uh, etc. And um, one of the like we've encountered many challenges along the way, but um, as we begin, we, we 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 raised enough money early on and had a good financial model um, that kept the lights on. However, we then decided to really accelerate our growth around about 2012. Um, um, and the lesson learned and the mistake I made is we didn't have a strong enough financial foundation to do that. So there, being transparent, there were some tough moments there when. 
um, we really need to scramble um, financially. Um, thankfully, we're in a very, uh, at the network office here, a very secure position now, although in public education, um, dollars are always short. Right. right. No, definitely. And that's always one of the bigger struggles I find with pretty much every entrepreneur I've spoken with is, you know, financial stress is one of the most difficult stressors to deal with. And once you end up with any sort of financial stress, it can create a strain overall due to mindset. Yeah. Um, you know, in the business. So it's something to really make sure that that financial foundation, that backing, that plan, the strategic plan for not just the startup, but the the continuation um, is really in place prior to starting. Um, and then to just touch back to make sure that, um, you know, you're looking at the access to the resources, to the people. And in this particular situation with, you know, an education network, the political aspects and the philanthropic philanthropic assistance that you could receive as well. Do you feel like there was a, a minimum or a maximum uh, in terms of research that should be performed prior to actually going ahead and starting any sort of entrepreneurial venture? And I say that because um, I I reference that because I feel like with myself yeah. on my entrepreneurial venture, and I find that a lot of entrepreneurs kind of agree with this, I know that I sat around and looked at so many different design issues, so many different little pieces, you know, uh, especially when launching this particular project being the, the uh, podcast, when it came to the intro and outro music and, you know, right, how right, I right, actually right. It, it. Do you feel like there's a limit to the uh, – research that you should do um, before or after, because I, I really just kind of sat around on ideas forever versus, you know, yeah. myself out the gate and going. Yeah, so. yeah, you know, it's a great question. So I'll focus more on the maximum. Um, happy to talk about the minimum as well. But I guess the best way I'd answer that question is as follows. You know, I think about the work, once we decided we were going to launch in Boston, um, I then think about the work that happened between July 2010 and August 2011, so 13 months of work preparing for the doors to open to our very first school. Um, we were doing all that work, which was necessary work, but we were doing all that work without actually any idea what it was truly going to feel like or be like to run a restarted, low-performing district school. Um, and if I think about what our model and how we use our time now looks like compared to how we use those 13 months, two totally different things. Um, so we could have spent five years thinking we, we were developing the perfect school model for turnaround until we lived it. We would have no idea what was actually going to work and not work. And part of our organizational strength, I think, is now being very adaptive each year when we learn what works, what doesn't, and doing things better the next year. But there is, there's a certain point where everything on paper can seem to line up just well, and then life happens, and you realize, oop, how, that, how I thought that was going to play out in my mind is very different. So I can't give a time constraint, but I think the lesson learned is, is one. Um, and at the same time, um, on the minimum side, um, you know, I've seen organizations in the schools um, arena, um, you know, in spring decide that they wanted to open something in the fall and really go at it. And um, 
if you haven't thought through most of the details, um, at least have a preliminary hypothesis for how to handle those details, um, you're also not going to succeed. So there's a, there's a sweet spot um, that, I'm, that I'm sure is different for each organization, each industry, um, but it's somewhere within that, between that minimum and maximum. I agree. There's definitely a difference between doing absolutely no research uh, on, <laughs> you know, the background end and, and kind of going with a hypothesis and running with right. something versus doing enough research that you're now, you know, just kind of beating a dead horse with a stick yep. and, and not getting much further. Um, so it's really a matter of listening to your gut and knowing that you've crossed your T's and dotted the I's and, and you've really looked at which avenues and, and each situation um, before you begin to move forward, yep. but to not allow yourself to halt and, and kind of hassle over certain details because you can get into that stagnant moment like I like I uh, mentioned I've experienced myself. Right, right. Um, how do you feel that technology has assisted you in building out the UP Education Network and the school system itself? Yeah. Um, I think it has supported us a lot um, here from our network office. Um, mm -hmm. So if I think about our so we have two, we have our network office uh, provides support and managerial functions to our schools. Two of our teams in particular use um, uh, technology as the, essentially as their foremost tool. Our data and analytics team, um, which really puts actionable information into the hands of school leaders and teachers on what to do with the data that they're seeing from their students. Um, mm -hmm. They've, you know, used all sorts of different um, analytical tools, technological tools to really make that data user-friendly, organize it well, um, uh, fast to process, etc. They're a remark. It's a small team of two, uh, my colleagues Jill and Ryan, um, but they do phenomenal work. On, on the talent side, on, on our, um, uh, our recruitment side in particular, um, you know, we are starting to do similar analytical work to really understand the students, I'm sorry, the teachers in our network who are most effective. Where have they come from? What part of, what time of the year do they usually apply to us during? Um, so we can look for trends to know right. how to tweak our strategies for the future. Um, so there's a couple of examples of how we've used data and analytics, but very much tied to the technological tools that enable us to do that uh, analysis. That's awesome. I didn't really realize that a school system would be using analytics in that manner at all yeah. in terms of, you know, looking for staff and so forth. So that's an interesting take. I was yeah. more thinking of communication and, and the ability to use tech in the classrooms yeah. and things of that sort, but that's very impressive. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, let me add one more quick one. We, so we do have this internal innovation fund where each year we usually about have $100,000 or so where if we hear a good, usually technology-based idea from one of our teachers, we're going to fund them and say, go try this. Go, go experiment. Go, not with students, but experiment with the idea. And right. if it works, let's then work partner with you to expand this across our whole network. So we're, we, have, we, we, we try to encourage innovation in a lot of different ways, but including through that internal fund that we have. 
That's outstanding. I did not know anything about that. Yep. That's actually the first time I've heard about that, but that is outstanding, and I'm I'm positive it's going to just mm -hmm. continue to enhance the work that you guys okay. are doing already. Okay. You have amazing teachers, and they really do uh, care about the kids and what they're doing, so the ability for them to go ahead and experiment exactly. with different ideas that they feel would be you know, useful and, and motivational, that's awesome because it's firsthand right there in the classroom. So, um, excellent. What do you feel um, prospective entrepreneurs should really kind of take into consideration prior to taking the leap and, and kind of saying, you know what, I'm going to go for this and start my own thing? Yeah. Um, I think it is a real close assessment of how committed to the idea they are and how much they believe in it because they should imagine there are going to be days when it does not go well at all. There are many days as a founder and CEO where I say, oh my goodness, what else could go wrong today? Why did I do this? And then I fortunately can rest on the foundation of because I think this is the most important thing happening um, in education right now, and I think our, our students across the Commonwealth deserve what we're trying to provide. But without that backbone of true belief, the challenges will eat you up, um, and you really need to have a full like, embracement of um, the diligence and fortitude it's going to take to get through those challenges. Bad days definitely show up. It's yes. not a smooth ride once you make that decision to take the leap. That's for sure. So yes. you know, being passionate about what it is you're doing and having a real end goal and knowing that what it is that's driving you is worth the drive, uh, then then it's worth taking the leap. But if you're just kind of doing it just to do it, yeah. it's probably not a good idea. Right. So that's a great one to think. Um, do you have a resource of any sort that you feel would be useful for the audience, a tip, trick, or, you know, an application of any sort, or even a book that you can think of? Yeah, well, well, um, you, you mean to specific to entrepreneurship, Laurie? Um, it doesn't have to be. It can be an inspirational um, sort of book, or it can be a tool that you use on a daily basis to help yourself maintain organization, or you know. Yeah. Well, I think I, I think I'll just share what I I, I spent the day with our school leaders yesterday, um, and we talked about a lot of different things. But one of the things we read together um, as a group, we went around and each read a different line was Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail. And he really talks about this idea of impatience and why we can't wait. Um, and at least in the world of education, um, in the world we live in in the United States today, um, I think, you know, we can't wait. We have to be impatient about um, what is right for our children, what is right for children of color. Um, what they deserve, what true equity looks like, and um, there's a better tomorrow, but only if we're impatient. So I think for me and for our team, that Martin Luther King um, letter and specific uh, paragraphs from it uh, really provide us with that inspiration. So I'm very excited to be able to link to that. Thank you. Scott. Of course. Um, the show is really designed to help entrepreneurs across the board, both our listeners as well as our guests. So, Scott, I would 
love the opportunity to help you if we could as an audience. If you had a magic wand yep. and could change anything at all in your business, what would it be and why? Uh, I think that I think that so I I believe that the the, the teachers we end up hiring who do this work um, are truly remarkable, um, but I also know how hard they are working and how tiring the work is, and I can see it in their faces, and um, I have so much respect for them. Um, but I I. I guess two things. One, if I could wave my magic wand, um, I could make the work easier. And I know that's probably not realistic, but I, um, our team is working so hard. Um, um, but secondly, you know, they would just, um, of course, their reward in some ways is what they can see from their students and the achievements that their students are, but really ensuring that they are recognized for the true challenge they've taken on in restart work. Um, I'd, I'd want that to happen as well, more than it does right now. Um, and I own some of that. I need to be, do a better job of that as CEO myself to ensure they hear that message consistently. That's an awesome message in and of itself, Scott. And I am hoping that I'll have the opportunity to share this with all of those teachers because I know that um, you yourself are, are just an amazing person in what you've accomplished thus far. So I thank you for all of the work that you've done here in Boston. And um, I look forward to supporting up in any <laughs> way that we can possibly support up. Um, Scott, please share the best way for our listeners to find you. Yep, the best way to f find me is either through our website, upeducationnetwork.org, or um, anyone can feel free to send me a note at any time, sgiven, G-I-V-E-N, at upeducationnetwork.org. Perfect. Scott, thank you again for joining us today. Lori, it's been awesome. Thank you so much. Good to talk uh, to you. Scott, thank you, thank you again for your time, your expertise, and sharing with the techie community. Your work here in Boston is absolutely phenomenal, and I am forever grateful for all that you've accomplished and continue to accomplish on a daily basis. We truly appreciate you taking the time to share with us. Once again, to the teachers who are out there doing the restart work that you are doing, thank you. Thank you, thank you. From a parent to the teachers, it's much appreciated. So thank you. And um, for anyone who is interested in reaching out to Scott and the Up Education Network, please visit upeducationnetwork.org. You can always find them through our show notes page at technologyequality.com forward slash Scott Given. Thank you, thank you again for listening, everyone. And until our next episode, when we continue to hear the journey, find the thing and create solutions, enjoy the week.